0: Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. Christy Doran and Sam Bruce here in Sydney where the sun is just starting to poke through. And um, the sun is, uh, is poking through Christy on the Wallabies World Cup campaign because for the first time this year we've got an official list of names from Eddie Jones. A 35-man 30, uh, Wallabies training squad named, or was it 33? 33. 33 got two ahead of myself there already 33 man uh squad training squad name for a, a camp uh, on the Gold Coast in a couple of weeks time a very short camp um but after i guess the the leaked um draft one for the April camp from Super Round earlier this year uh it's a first official look at Eddie's thinking um there were 49 names i think in total on there if you include the players listed overseas, uh, and those uh, the, so those joining via Zoom digitally in this wonderful world of ours, and some injured players as well. But mate, firstly, welcome back for another week, and um, I guess your your immediate reaction when you saw that squad last night?
1: Yeah, we all kind of thought that the the squad was going to be coming out early on Sunday morning, but. I think a, a little bit of COVID throughout the Jones' household might have Ooh. meant that he wasn't necessarily coming out as much. Um, and it was delayed until the mid-afternoon. Look, not too much actually surprised me from it. I always thought there was going to be a couple of curly ones, a few players that people would get frustrated and raise their eyebrows going, hang on, how's this bloke there? But And those couple of guys that spring to minor and really leap out on the pages. is... To Yasi Bunavalu, Ben Donaldson, and you probably go, yeah, how are, how are those two on there when it comes to form? because isn't that what you're supposed to be selecting on? But Eddie Jones doesn't always operate on those sorts of uh, what might be described as rational kind of thoughts when it comes to rugby selection. Oh, I, I don't think that Eddie Jones cares about rational thought or or form. He goes on his eye, and we've seen that in a couple of those cases. He believes that, these couple of guys have showing something that have something that they might not be showing, but have something in their arsenal, which could elevate not just their own performances, but the Wallabies uh, at large. So when I think about it, you know, asking Iwuna who we'd heard his name often spoken by Eddie Jones, how he was impressed by his physique and similarly Ben Donaldson had been name dropped ever since Eddie Jones was announced as Wallabies coach in the mid January so yeah but look pleasing to see guys like Brad Wilkin there who's been through the ringer and perseverance gets into a Wallabies squad and he might not make that rugby championship squad or indeed the World Cup one but it gives these guys hope that hey we're we're closer to the end goal which is you know most kids that grow up and play rugby want to play for the Wallabies or the Wallaroos and and this is a great moment for him to celebrate but he will know that he's only halfway there and and as one wallaby described to me um yeah all well and good making that that first squad but it's good luck and and it's all about making the second one once he's actually had the opportunity to see you so we'll see a fair bit of movement i reckon over over the coming months
0: yeah very much an introductory group for for 2023 but um there were a couple of interesting uh, little nuggets out of the, the press conference that you and I sat on um, at 4.30 uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, straight off the top, Eddie said he wasn't going to discuss the players that that hadn't been selected. Now, I think that's a bit of a cop-out. Um, I think it's, you know, people deserve to, the Wallabies fans deserve to know why certain players haven't been selected and why others have. Now, he told us that and I guess his defense was Suliasi Vinavalu was basically all I could read from it was that um, he liked what he did for the storm uh, in the NRL three years ago, because to anyone watching the game right now, um, and I uh, I tweeted on Friday night that um, if Suliasi Vunivalu was fit, I'll tip the card at Randwick. Now I didn't even tip one winner at Randwick on Saturday afternoon. So, that just shows you where things are at with him. He in, in the mo at the moment, there is no way that Suli is fit. He to me, he's barely getting out of second gear. Um, there was one incident there on on Friday night against the Crusaders where he was barely jogging back to to get to a ball. Um, it's a big call to be basing this guy uh, this guy's selection, even for a squad like this, when you've got other wingers playing really really well. Um, on on what he's done. You know, in a different game three years ago, when barely what we've seen for the Reds is, I think, one or two decent games, maybe against the Crusaders last year uh, in that quarter final, and one previously against the Rebels potentially. But geez, we're, we're basing, or uh, well, certainly Eddie is basing his selection on a lot of potential. Um, on the flip side for another Reds, sorry, you go.
1: Well, who are you going to pick over Sully Wunabalu at the moment?
0: I would have a Corey Tool in there, um, because.
1: But, but, but if you've got a Corey Tool in there, haven't you? Like, have you already got one with Max Jorgensen? And can you have two guys that are very, very lean? Yes, good on their feet, but can you have two guys like that, currently in the in, in the international game?
0: I can have two guys that are playing well in Super Rugby and and giving it a crack week in week out and making breaks and scoring tries and working hard back in defence, none of which Suliasi Venevalo is doing. So. I mean, yeah, it's Eddie made his case for his defence of of Sully, but um, I, I just I just can't see it, and you know um, I, I don't think I'm happy to be proven wrong later in the year, but I, I just don't think he's he's going to get there. Um, so I found that perplexing.
1: If you were to have a fully fit Sully Bunavalu who's playing at the similar sort of Heights of the Melbourne Storm in 2020, where he's taking intercepts and running the field and looking like a world beater. Would you? Would you have that person in a Wallaby squad?
0: I would, but are we ever going to see it, mate? This is my question. Like, how how long do we give him? He's had three years now, right, um, to get his body right, to get fit. Um, he's had um, countless hamstring setbacks and. Uh, you know, maybe they're, they've they got to be worrying right now because watching him play, I know he took that intercept. Um, where was it? Super round when he kind of just did enough to get to the line and run 80 metres, but he wasn't striding out and he's not doing, he didn't do that on Friday night. Um, is it a fitness issue? A lack of match fitness potentially as well?
1: Confidence. Um, comp- is there, all, is, all is the there something happening with the, with the Queensland Reds that, that things aren't quite right there?
0: And 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 maybe Eddie is the man to get him in, and he might be so impressed and so motivated by meeting Eddie in a couple of weeks' time that he comes back out and suddenly hits top gear. If so, well and good, that's great. But um, yeah, if there were some others there that I felt could have been selected uh, in front of him, um, you mentioned Brad Wilkin. Uh, we we name dropped him the last couple of weeks. Blake Shop was another guy we thought might be an outside chance. He gets in with the injuries. Um, there in the front row. And there are a lot of injuries around and there are the list of players that he had there that overseas-based players So he made a a point of saying, look, there's a lot of talent there. But um, if we stay with Queensland for a minute, um, your thoughts on the omission of of Harry Wilson now, which is a continuing theme, isn't it? Because uh, he really struggled for selection under Dave Rennie. uh, I think had one game against England last year um, after debuting really well in... Rennie's first year there in 2020 in that Bledisloe game in in Wellington. Um, He's a guy who on Friday night carried for 18 runs for 102 metres and was just about the best out there alongside Jordan Patara, I thought, for the Reds. And now isn't getting a look in again under a different coach after a a coaching change. Where does this leave Harry Wilson? And can you put your finger on what he isn't doing that two successive Wallabies coaches clearly are concerned about?
1: Good question. And it is interesting that two Wallaby coaches in a row have now had their question marks. I don't see Harry Wilson as a blindside flanker. And at the moment, um, is he... Uh, how does Eddie Jones see his back row configuration? Judging by that leaked list when he did a draft one racket Super Round, he had... Um, he had Rob Valentini at blindside, and he had I think Langie Gleeson at eight from memory. So maybe he does see Rob Valentini at a six, which potentially opens the door for Harry Wilson. If anything happens to Langie Gleeson, we know that he's out at the moment with a couple of niggles. Um, he's young; he's growing into his body, as is Harry Wilson, but he's another couple of years further down the track. I see a lot of Harry Wilson in Alex Dombrandt, who's currently out playing for England, um, and he. For years, for a good three, four years, and Harlequins have had some great success in recent years, the English media were jumping up and down about Alex dombrant going, why is he not being picked? He's carving up the English premiership. And you know what? Eddie Jones couldn't really care. He invited him to camp once or twice and then pretty quickly dismissed him. He gave him an opportunity. I get the feeling that Harry Wilson's a very, very good super rugby player. Does he have that physical ruggedness that a Vermeulen has to offer or Aldridge or whoever it might be from France, does he have that real physicality to succeed at test level? I don't know if he does. And I don't think he thought Alex Dombrant did either. I think he's giving you an opportunity, Dombrant last year, to go, okay, here's your opportunity now. Um, I've been in and out for quite a while. Maybe Billy Bonapola is not quite where I need him to be. So I'm going to, put him to the side for a little while, probably keeping him in the back pocket for the World Cup year. But here's the opportunity, Don And he didn't take it. He didn't take it now. I don't even think he took it in this year, Six Nations under under Steve Borthwick. And I just feel that there's a, a real similarity there with Wilson. Hasn't really set the world alive at test level. He missed his breakdown work last year when albeit probably playing out of position at blindside against England and Sydney. And those sorts of things, first impressions can often be really, really big ones too. So um, it's, a, it's a tricky situation for Queensland and Australian rugby at the moment because Queensland's desperate to keep Harry Wilson. They want him, but they can't afford to break the bank for him either. Um, my understanding is his player agent is keen on, uh, on Harry staying, becoming a bit of a face of Queensland rugby, going forward, potentially captaincy material. But at the moment something hasn't convinced both Harry to stay in Australia and similarly, something hasn't convinced the Wallabies hierarchy that uh, Harry Wilson's year out and out eight as well.
0: He's got to be losing faith. Um, and we know that the carrot of not only this World Cup, but the Lions in, in a couple of years' time, and, and there will be a significant injury, you would think, at some point in the Wallabies forwards. So, if, you know, we've already had a couple with Isaac, Rotter, um
1: and and angus bell angus bell clearly
0: tupu so you know it's not going to surprise if we see another lock or two or a back rower or two rob liota's obviously on the comeback trail there's a guy who's battled a a lot of injuries in his short super rugby career as it is so this is by no means as we said off the top that it's the final squad but there is something certainly there that you were saying around i like the comparison with with alex dombrant they you know, good feet, uh, you know, not they don't sure their their work rate is, is really, really high. And that, you know, 18 runs from a from a from a number eight in a in any game is a phenomenal effort. But there's something just there that they don't see him as a as a test player. And that's going to be a really tough tag for, for Harry to shake now, isn't it? Given that, you know, whether Eddie had watched him closely before while Dave wasn't picking him, who knows? But for two coaches to think it in a row. Um is concerning. Um, what else in the squad, Christy um, Carter Gordon, I guess, and Max Jorgensen, probably the other two big inclusions, are neither particularly surprising given how well they've been playing. Uh, Jorgensen has missed a couple of games through injury. And I guess that's the one concern with him. Isn't it at this point in time, even though Eddie said, look, he's old, if he's old enough, he's good enough and he'll be durable enough, but there's got to be questions around his frame at only 18 years of age um and a, a nice kind of note on on Carter Gordon it wasn't it I, I just love his competitiveness right um said that he was concerned the rebels were going to drift out to sea such was the uh the firepower that the Fijian drewer uh, greeted them with there in Suva on Saturday afternoon and another warning for, for teams uh, heading to Fiji later this year but um Carter I think he, he's got to be right in the running he was included ahead of Noel Olesio wasn't he now and has that just shifted up that fly-half pecking order a little bit?
1: Uh, what I think it goes to show is that Bernard Foley and Quade Cooper are his two tens, And whether or not both make the World Cup squad, at, at the very least one, probably two. Do um, both make a starting or, or a 23? I'm not sure. Uh, potentially. Uh, they're both really out and out 10s, aren't they? So it's hard to carry out and out 10s often. Um, but we know with and he's referenced it quite a few times particularly when it comes to leadership that that concussions are going to be very very interesting come this world cup and if players are ruled out who's therefore able to step in and that's that's the crucial kind of element that you've always got to have in the back of your mind now with selection is what's going to happen if there's an injury and that's why you know sides like New Zealand when you've got a Bowden Barrett who can play equally well at full back probably puts them in a position and advantageous position going forward. Um, good shouts with those two guys. I think um, th- 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 there's a bit of a comparison with Max Jorgensen to Nehe Mildes Scudder. Milder Scudder for years uh, injured at the Bulldogs, I think, before he went to uh, rugby, he had one breakout year. And all of a sudden he's the next big thing. He, he's playing in a World Cup final. He's scoring in a World Cup final. And he hardly plays for the All Blacks and indeed Super Rugby again because of his Unfortunate injury history. I see that not necessarily, and I, I hope Max Jorgensen has a really injury-free career, and he quite possibly will. But you know, the fact that he's got some shoulder issues and everything else—that's going to happen. He's 18. He's he's been playing against boys for, for months and years. This guy's got some serious X factor, and the the X the the element that I love about him as well is that he. Not only is he taken to super rugby like a duck to water, he looks like he's just got a calm head, really calm demeanour about him. He's not caught up in the rock star nature of Australian rugby in the past when there's probably three or four names that you could rattle off that probably enjoyed the smell of their own um. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And and they probably read too many headlines, probably given too much cash too early and told that they were the best next thing. Jorgensen, I think, is just going about his business calmly. He's unflappable. We saw how well he ran the, with the ball on the weekend. Uh, and that inside ball to to Alakai Fichetti was a beauty as well. Um, the, the other selection that kind of took me, not by necessarily surprise, but because of the profile, I thought that there was going to be a, potentially a Tolu Latu, who even though he hasn't been great this year and hasn't had that many opportunities to start or anything like that, he's a scrummaging hooker who's great over the ball. And he's selected instead. He's given a really big opportunity for Jordan Yulisi to to take an opportunity with both hands. He's a guy that was selected by Michael Checker after 28 minutes of Super Rugby. And all of a sudden, he's back in the frame after being missing in action for a couple of years. I think he was drinking with the likes of Marika Corabetti and and Isi Nisarani after a a Bledisloe fixture back in 2021. Well, Isi, and he he referenced Malcolm Marks, and it's actually, I think, I, I kind of agree with him. Malcolm Marks is probably the worst Got the worst technique of a hooker in world rugby. Yet, would you pick him in most 23s? Absolutely, because of what he does, at, not only at the scrum, but around the, around the field, just unbelievable on the ball. And if Jones can get at least his attitude right, he could be, and we've always said it, he could be anything because he is huge. Anyone who's seen his neck and his shoulders, they're massive. And he's a nice, nice bloke but he's actually got to pull his finger out. I think it's a great opportunity that Eddie Jones has given him.
0: Yeah, I'd forgotten about that misdemeanor. And I think it was actually before the test. It was maybe on the Thursday night players who weren't included or were being rested for the, the following week back in Australia, um, snuck out. And I'm not even sure they snuck out. I think they might've been just in one of the, the hotel, hotel rooms yeah. from memory. Yeah, I'd, that one had slipped my mind, but yeah, um, there you go. Uh, I guess Christy, what about the players included from from overseas? There were seven of them. Um and interestingly, Richie Arnolds, but no Rory Arnold, which when you think about it is is kind of, you know, self-explanatory. Rory hasn't been playing, hasn't got a club. Um not sure whether he's going to be back this season at all. Um Richie meanwhile probably flying under the radar for a lot of Wallabies supporters given it was Rory who had been such a fixture of this Wallaby side and appeared again last year at Lock um, during the Rugby Championship there. But big raps from from Eddie that basically he's driving. I think it's the Stade Français um, pack. Stade Toulouse,
1: yeah. Sorry, Toulouse
0: rather down um, alongside Antoine Dupont, um, and I think big uh, Emmanuel Mira is down there too, isn't he? So uh, we might get Australia might get one of those guys back in the form of Ricciardo, which would be. Quite a story, um, and then the the other guys uh, overseas, obviously Cooper, Karevi, Bette, Foley, Tom Banks, and one more who I can't think of right. Well, now.
1: on this on on the subject of, of Richie Arnold, I, I think I said in a pod a couple of weeks ago that he was speaking to a couple of French based Australian players, and one of which I knew was Richie Arnold, and. He 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 didn't actually say yesterday that he'd met with him, but my understanding is that he did meet with him. Um, Arnold's contracted with Toulouse for another couple of years. Uh, I think he did a new three-year deal ahead of this year. So I can't see him necessarily coming back. But When I put it to someone just yesterday around Kenny, uh, uh, well, therefore he's unlikely to come back for a British and Irish Lions series. And I was told, well, a lot of things can happen, can't they? So... Look, I don't necessarily think that'll happen, but but Arnold, you're right, and it, it, he's an intriguing person because when you think about French rugby, he knows the grounds, he knows the calls, he knows what it's like to put yourself in amongst the big boys week in, week out, and that's and I think it was Will Skelton that you left out before. So when yes. you, it, it's pretty hard to um to miss at times, big Will, but you put him and you put a. A guy like a Richie Arnold too, my understanding is that Dan McKellar didn't think he was that great. and um, Hence the reason why Rory was always a, a big, big part of his plans and Richie perhaps not so much at the Brumbies, but those sorts of guys in France, potentially the deeper a tournament goes could be really, really influential, I think. So wait and see. I think how people like Isaac Rodder go with their injury recoveries is going to be really, really crucial um, but you look at Arnold, he's like 209 centimetres, and that's just massive. He is a big, big boy, and he's, and he's part of a winning group. And, and that's the other thing that's you can't forget. He's a winner at the moment. So is Will Skelton. And the attitudes of having winners amongst them who are playing alongside guys like Anton Topon every week and just knowing what he's doing, I think that sort of stuff is at times um, forgotten. And we saw when Pete Sarmu came back from the Crusaders he's just a guy that he just feels like he belongs and and Sam is never he, Pete Sam is not a, a guy that's going to go talk up things too much he's pretty softly spoken but you know that how he plays he feels like he belongs and and there could be something to be said about those guys like Arnold and Skelton now
0: how did you interpret i guess Eddie's talk around the ghetto law um he said those discussions with rugby australia are still Ongoing, but also made the point that clearly this is a pretty talented group of players who he had listed there as uh, joining via Zoom. Now, I, I can't see how Tom Banks comes back um, and, and wins a spot in that team. Um, but everyone else among those six and, and maybe taking out Richie Arnold. So let's say the other five, Corin Betty, Skelton, Cooper, Karevi, and I'm forgetting, and Foley, um, you know, those those guys. They've, they've got to be certainly right in contention, haven't they, now? I think it's going to be interesting to watch in the coming months just where this conversation lands. Is it perhaps just given extended for this World Cup alone um, and then rain back in again? I don't think we're going to see open slather. I don't think it's going to be a permanent move, but it did kind of feel as though the, the special dispensation, if you like, is every chance of being applied later in the year.
1: Oh, totally. I think that's so, so bleedingly obvious now, isn't it? And I think quite rightly so as well. You know, the fact that the Brumbies, had that was their first time that they recorded more than 10,000 people through the gates on Saturday. And we'll get to that game in a little while. First time in a few years that 10,000 people have gone through the GIO gates. For a side that's been as successful playing as attractive rugby as it is, that is extraordinarily damning, and it shows that not just it's not just the Brumbies thing. The Brumbies it it needs an Australian rugby power boost at the moment. Uh, the Wallabies need to start winning, and that is what's going to help get those guys, the, the dormant rugby fans across Australia, back talking about the game because we know that, you know, one or two sugar hits with Jones's return and Suelihi's return um, arrival is generating talk, which hasn't been seen for a couple of years. The Wallabies need to start winning. And that's why Australia had to, rugby Australia had to act on on guys like Dave Rennie. Unfortunately, when you've got a winning percentage as low as he does and did, um, Things need to change. And that's unfortunately the, the tough decision that they made then. But um, I, I get the feeling like Eddie will be able to, to twist anyone's arm to get what he wants. And I kind of think that it, the, this won't be made anytime soon. It could be as late as the Bledisloe Cup or the Rugby Championship or indeed a week or two after that where it's kind of revealed x amount of players are going to be available um it'll potentially come down to injuries you know how does taniela tupo come back from his injury how does angus bell how does isaac rotter who's from my understanding very well liked and respected by eddie jones um how those guys feature is going to be supremely crucial and it's not just those guys it's the it's the it's the impact of losing guys like that as well because it just changes the dynamic and and if you take out experience or size in one position how does that actually affect the rest of the team and you've always got to consider that you know moving one piece of the pie or the puzzle how does that actually change the the makeup of that squad so Watch this space. It wouldn't surprise me if even a guy like a Scotty CEO does come back into the reckoning if, if, for instance, an Angus Bell doesn't get up in time or if he's still continually plagued by his foot this year. So we'll see. But we're not going to have any announcement on this for months and months and months. They're going to kick this down the road further and further. And therefore, the Super Rugby franchises won't be able to have much of a, a say. They won't be able to cry wolf by going well, all our players are going to leave overseas because by that point in time, super rugby will be irrelevant because the season will be done.
0: Just before we put a bow on this one for now, um, does this feel to you like a more competitive playing cohort pushing for a Rugby World Cup than perhaps the last two tournaments? Um, I I think back to 2019, it was really only kind of Jordan Pettire was, you know, I guess the, the late bolter there um, probably Sean McMahon in in 20, 2015, is that right? Um, was a late inclusion. Um, he brought checkboard Adam Ashley Cooper, wonderful player, absolutely no doubt about it. But you know, probably would admit that his best days were were behind him by the time by the time twenty nineteen rolled around. Are there more players in at the moment, both here, both at home and elsewhere in the world, that? can legitimately push for selection. There might only, say, be seven or eight spots, you know, that we genuinely think are up for grabs. But is this a, a swollen cohort, do you think, of guys pushing for for selection or at least have some selection case um, as opposed to 2019 and
1: 2015? Only, only if guys, only if five or six players come back from overseas and that the current roster stay fit. Because when I think about 2015, guys like Lane Gill, didn't get included. You know, Liam Gill could potentially have been the most complete seven that Australia had at that time. Um, you know, guys like Luke Moraghan not getting in the mix either. Um, there were some very, very good players around that 2015 period. Um, you know, if you, if you look and if you go through the 33 that was selected yesterday and you, and you forget about the overseas players and the injured players for the time being, you, you probably think, oh, geez, that doesn't look all that great. But um, when you include the overseas guys and those that are unavailable at the moment, you probably go, yeah, it is. But some concessions are going to have to be made. Otherwise, it it does look, I think, not only the front row, the hooking stocks. When you think about 2015, there was Tatapu Pilotta now and Stephen Moore. You know, what Australian rugby would do for two of those guys that were in very good form around that 2015 period. The fact that Izzy Folau, you know, there was an there wasn't any talk about who the, the fullback was going to be there. We knew it was follow There wasn't any talk about who really the 10 was. It was Bernard Foley. And if it wasn't Bernard Foley, it was Quade Cooper. And if it wasn't those two, it was Matt Miller or Christian Aliafano that were playing really good rugby at the time. So, yeah. And even Will Genia was in great form in 2015. Um, I, I just think that uh, uh, this side has the potential to shock and to surprise, but... Um, that they need to make sure that they stay fit and that Eddie Jones is allowed to pick who he wants and I think that really starts up front you think about it as well in 2014 the brumbies and the waratahs made the super rugby semi at least the semi finals the Tars go on to win it a year later they both make the 2015 semi finals and probably at least one of them the waratahs probably should have beaten the highlanders that year to make another final they had two very, very competitive Australian Super Rugby franchises. You look at it at the moment, and there's one. There's only one competitive franchises, and there's probably two or three that are just nowhere near where they need to be.
0: Yeah, excellent, excellent point. Um, I guess let's switch focus. Then we'll come back to the Wallabies, no doubt, uh, over and over again this year. And and we must say, yeah, it's just very introductory, uh, thirty-three man squad for uh, the first time this year. Um. I guess round six, Christy, um, you mentioned the Waratahs and the Brumbies earlier. Uh seems like a good place to start because it was pretty close to being the game of the season. Certainly the Aussie derby of the season, certainly the two, I guess, you know, um, best performances from an from an Aussie team against one another for quite some time, you would have to say, and, you know, heck, it might've even shaded the, the Blues Crusaders game in Auckland there in terms of entertainment value and, and intensity. Sure. There was a few tackles missed and, along the way, but um, I mean, 11 tries and 76 points. It's um, for the 10,000 people that did get to GIO Stadium and that is an improvement. It's just great to see down there in, in Canberra, particularly after the Raiders, I think, copped a, copped a hammering from uh, from Penrith uh, on Friday night. Maybe there might be a few more come back and watch the Brums again, but um, really good game of footy. I thought really well refed by Nick Berry. Uh, I want to give him a, a shout out there. I, I think his communication with the players Perhaps that stems from being a, a former player himself. is is among the best in the world of of any whistleblower. But a lot of like a lot to like from both teams for this one. Clearly the Waratahs go home disappointed, and to just jump back momentarily to the selection of, of Ben Donaldson. Um, you never say that a match is lost because of one particular error. Um, given you know the the game runs eighty minutes long, but. Geez, it had a huge bearing on the finish there, didn't it? That kick out on the full under very little to no pressure off the line-out win. Um, if he is to make that World Cup squad, those are the kind of mistakes he cannot be making.
1: No. And, and it's an issue with all the Australian 10s at the moment. We've seen James O'Connor do it. We saw Carter Gordon. He's done it in every single match. He's had a bad kick. A couple out in the full and even against the Fiji Drua on the weekend, kicking it dead. You know, you just don't see the best hands in the world or the controllers of games do those sorts of things. Donaldson's got some... He's playing with no confidence at all at the moment. Um, he's getting run over the top physically uh, and he's struggling both from the kicking tee and, and as well as out of hand. He's not really running to the line all that much either. You, you compare that to Lola CEO or definitely Carter Gordon and it's chalk and cheese at the moment. And... Um, yeah, it was huge in the overall context. Um you know, the 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 Waratahs probably lost it in that 10 minute period going into halftime where there's a couple of, you know, they, they get penalized a couple of times, um, a couple of yellow cards. Uh, but they did extremely well there another technical penalty losing the the rolling more it's a couple of times the brumbies have been stung by that which is unusual but yep. it seems like it's a message that the referees are real they clamp down on hard this year um great game though and we should talk it up the individual skill levels there with the Martin knowing you need a chip kick the um corey tool stepping off his left what about the chase from lenny yikatao the, the kick the short kick from his inside center partner uh to set up his first try um it had a bit of everything that game and it was so attractive easy on the eye um I think definitely Australia's best derby of the year. And and in terms of individual skill, it was probably better than that Blues-Crusaders game where the Blues probably had about 1,000 chances to score late tries against the Crusaders bomb and them, just yeah. couldn't yeah, bomb them. So um, uh, good to see. And and well done to the Brumbies for finding a way to win. Um, but I thought the, the physical the physicality that the Waratahs showed Um, We saw Michael Hooper have a bit more of an impact, a bit more punch, a bit more of a spring in his step. Izzy Parisi finally showing what he can do as well. So some really pleasing things. And I think they're, they're training the Waratahs for a very light Monday, Tuesday session before having the rest of the week off. So they will be super fresh coming back on the Monday next week where they would have had four or five days off away from the game, getting away, uh, and that's a big match against the Western Force um, in Sydney the week after Easter. So the Brumbies roll on and we've got another Aussie derby to look forward to this week. I'm, I'm really excited by this one because the, the Queensland Reds really should be seeding. They should be like a dragon just getting ready to breathe some fire because not only have they only got four blokes that have been picked in that, Queensland, in that Wallabies roster, um, they've had the wood over the Brumbies, really, in Queensland. They've got to show it. They've got to come out and make a statement. Um, Brad Thorne's got a fair bit of pressure on him. I don't think he'll get cut any time through out out a, a year. I think the Queensland Reds would show him the respect he probably deserves to see out the year and then perhaps moved into a different role. But big, big game for not only the Reds, but just for Australian rugby trying to carry on the momentum.
0: Absolutely, and uh, you left off James Slippers' double there, mate, and was very nearly a, a hat trick as well in Canberra, but for a, a loose pickup on his bootlaces there, right next to the line, um, it could have been an all-time career moment for Slips, who um, I, I don't want to say is defying age because he's not that old in terms of props in particular, but um, is really, uh, I guess, since his move to to Canberra and what followed the, the off-field indiscretion, which saw Brad Thorne show him the door at the Reds, is um has really turned over a new leaf in, in recent years. And I'm reluctant to jump back again momentarily to talk about the Wallabies, but is he looming as the likely captain, do you think?
1: Uh, well, we know that he kind of jokes by saying you might need seven. He's not going to have seven, but he might have three or four in a leadership team and he might have two vice captains that he says immediately off the top. Um who who knows it, it could go anyway i, I think alan Alatar is probably well placed um for that but slips is the sort of guy that you uh, i just see him as the perfect guy to rally um that that he's going to rally behind someone else actually i think he's the perfect guy to have in your in your squad i don't know if i wouldn't have him as my captain i'd have either alan alatoa Nick White or Michael Hooper as as my three, and I would have James Slipper as a vice captain, who can, who is just the perfect foil. Really experienced. There's no politicalness about him. He just wants to get the job done and win. So, uh, but but look, he's he's playing good footy. A couple tries, playing with a smile on his face. He had a bit of a chuckle after knowing that his his chance of a of a hatchery slipped might treat. never come again. No, it's never coming again. But they were they were good ball, smart footy, great ball from Nick White to put it on the chest of Slipper, who, you know, that's smart from Nick White to realize that Lalakai Fakedi's offside. He would have been yellow carded had he attempted to bring down Slipper put a finger on him. Um, good rugby. Would you would you have James Slipper as your captain?
0: I I get the feeling it, it's gonna come down to he or to Alan Alatoa. And I wouldn't have any qualms with Alatoa. Even, uh, either, rather, I, I think that then gives you the the opportunity for for Taniela Tupu, fitness permitting, of course, to come off the bench and, and close the game out and give you that real injection. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with with either either of those guys, and and that's probably be, be would be the way that I would head. So um, anyway, great to see slips playing some good footy.
1: The, the, just finally on that, the fascinating aspect of that might be. How does how does, and if Angus Bell comes back and he's fully fit, does, does he consider bringing his slippers off on the off the bench? You know, when you've got someone like a him and a Taniela Tupo, that might complement each other well. Slipper, the workhorse gets around a lot of um, hitting the rucks, and you just allow Taniela Tupo just to smash the ball up and and work on that explosiveness. You know, if you end up having to start with white hooper. Alan Alatoa, James Slipper, how many even play 80 minutes? You know, you can't play all four of those 80 minutes. Maybe maybe Hooper at a pinch, but the other three will be subbed off after 50, 50 minutes, you'd imagine. So I would think that one of them might come off the bench, be that closer, be that level head. And that's where Slipper and his leadership could be really important.
0: Yeah, good shout. Good shout. Uh, the Reds, I uh, mean, fairly well, I mean, it was 25-12, the scoreboard, the the loss to the Crusaders on Friday night. But you never really got the feeling that they were going to win this game. Um, they had enough possession. They ran for a stack of metres compared to the Crusaders. I think it was about 532 against about 330-odd. Um, playing a lot of rugby, but then execution, letting them down in in crucial moments early on. It's a break from Harry Wilson that springs to mind and uh, the offload to to Isaac Henry goes awry um, probably would have been five points under the posts, other moments like that. And then just one little sequence at the back end of the game for me kind of summed up where they're at right now is there was, I think it was about 13 minutes to go. um, Those 13 points down, they opt to kick for the posts when really it was a perfect opportunity to kick to the line and launch a line out drive. Uh, James O'Connor who hadn't been kicking um, for some reason, uh, Steps up, hits the left upright from right in front. Crusaders clear. Reds get the line in. So they still get a crack, albeit from 20 metres out. Win that. Rumble a few phases. Start to get the Crusaders backpeddling. And James O'Connor drops the ball on the foot, uh, in behind, rolls dead, and the chance was gone. Um, uh, they just, to me, seem like a team that's lacking a bit of confidence or a lot of confidence, um, letting themselves down with their execution. And um, for, not for the one of, you know, players like Josh Fluke and Fraser McWright, who who were included in that Wallaby squad and Wilson, I think I will put him as, as certainly one of their performers and Geordie Pettire. It's still not coming together. And that was the case with the Waratahs. The Waratahs finally got it together. You would say on the weekend in Canberra, despite not getting the win, but the Reds just aren't there yet either.
1: No, they're not. They're, they're not miles off the pace, but their inability to take their chances is terribly frustrating for anyone who's supporting Australian rugby at the moment. And, you know the Isaac Henry ones. They're the they're the ones that just seem strange. Some of those decision making, the lack of accuracy, and I know that he's coming back from hand injury. And but you've got to be better. And Shane Ruggie's got to demand more there. And you're right about highlighting the fact to take three points there. It was the wrong option. I'm not quite sure what was going through their heads at all. Um, it was very obvious that they had to kick to the corner and score a try there. They needed two two tries um look it's it, it's a big game and we're going to see what they're made of this weekend we didn't speak about josh fluke earlier in our discussion great to see him in that i see him as an understudy for for lani he looks to me like a third aim particularly if you've got a big 12 out um, alongside him just gain smarts and we've been talking about him for 2 years about how good josh fluke is just such a good player calm head reliable um, former Australian schoolboys captain alongside Suuli and you think about all the players that were there yet, yet Josh Lucas captain says something about him uh, big raps on him um but they've gotta they've gotta back it up, don't they, and they need to you know they're starting to get back a couple of players Angus Blythe made his return on the weekend, but you can just see the sides without a type five struggle struggle to retain the ball dominate the set piece, hit rocks um they're lacking a real game. I, I, I struggled to see how the Queensland Reds are trying to play at the moment. I don't see any real, um, I don't know what their game plan necessarily is. It just seems like there's a lot of off the cuff stuff, um, but frustrating because that was a game with a crusader side, missing a lot of players that they should be getting closer to. They had so many opportunities and and, and hardly took any of them, but as Tate McDermott said at the end of the, the game, he sounds like a broken record at the moment, but fair play highlighting how pleasing it is to see Geordie Pataia string some games together.
0: Yeah, one of the uh, the pod's loyal listeners, actually, Tommy Hilliard. Uh, got a bit of a drinking game going with you every time you mention your love for um, for Josh Fluke. So um, I think he's been knocking back a few stubbies. Tommy, uh, hello to you, Um, mate. All right. uh, We mentioned the rebels blown off the park in, in Fiji. Uh, That's probably going to happen to a couple more teams this year. If they don't turn up and be ready to go from the opening whistle, I think it was 28 points in 27 minutes or maybe even more. There, game was gone, a bit of a fight back. So we probably don't need to break down that too much more. Andrew Kellaway, I guess, making a a timely return um, after uh, starting the year through injury uh, on the sidelines through injury. Um, but the force again—the third Sunday game, um, their third defeat. But you want to just give them a bit of uh, put an arm around them, and say, you know, well, well done. You didn't throw in the towel there uh, in uh, Palmerston North against the Hurricanes yesterday. They were never going to win the game, and I'm sure there was an element of the Hurricanes taking their foot off the gas, and there was no Artie Severe and all these things, and they were chasing the bonus point there right at the death. I think it was five minutes into overtime um, when the the force managed to get back within the two points to to really you know flatter the scoreboard but they are playing better rugby i think and and this was a, another example of that they're getting great you know um returns out of their their halfback simpson and kiribigi kibirigi rather um, who've come down from from england um a few other guys mataeli playing really well i think as well um and their forwards are, are probably turning up better than they perhaps were in the opening weeks of the competition um so three tough games in New Zealand uh, to come away with I guess one one bonus point um, it was probably better than most might have expected even though they were right in that game with the with the Highlanders first up and and, and could have won that um, but there's just a little bit of momentum now that they can work from 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 the back end uh, of the season or sorry the second half of the season rather it's, it's not to the back end by any stretch um, they're not gone from from Super Rugby. Uh, finals contention bonnie stretch but um yeah i i just felt that yesterday they they deserved a bit of a pat on the back
1: yeah yeah potentially but how slow do you want to be out of the blocks like two tries in six minutes they were just smashed in the contact zone set piece the props weren't you know the scrum was abysmal for the first 15 20 minutes Seems like they just missed the jump. Um and and the Rebels got punished a day earlier and the force yesterday. You now Gareth Simpson's playing some good rugby for the force. Um you know, Sam Spink probably did, wasn't quite as effective as he was a week earlier, N- north Santiago Medrano, but uh, I, no they need to be able to retain and Jeremy Williams played well. It was a that was probably yeah. his best game that I've seen from him. And he's a player that's on the rise. Um Ollie Callan had, had had some good moments too as well. Tim Anstey, similar, but they need to be able to retain these guys, build squads around them. Because Eddie James made the point on, on his podcast speaking about what do they stand for? And and I, I asked a similar question. What what are they what are they trying to serve the purpose for? Because at the moment, half their team is made up of internationals. So, you know, if, if Western Forster fans are out there thinking, why aren't we getting guys in the Wallabies? Well, it's probably because half your team is made up of foreigners. And, and that's, you know, that does nothing for your team because it does nothing for your cohesion. You're having to build all the building blocks back from the starting blocks again. And yes, Simon Cron came in there midway through last year, hard for the player retention and everything else. But they're they're starting with their hands tied behind their backs at the moment and they really need to develop their own, get a stronger pathway system. It's good that they've got an academy coming through and some promising young players coming through that program as well. Um, uh, Baylor Kunze had his moments as well on on Sunday, which was good to see. Um, But I'm looking forward to when Rajan Pasatoa comes back. I think they need a, Figure 12 as well that can just help them get over the game line but um, you know they'll who, who knows how long Flyinger will be out for, um, Achilles soreness it seems like it's a bit of a recurring kind of issue for them but you know Tommy Horton and those sorts of guys they're, they're doing their best but it's difficult without the cohesion stuff so fair play for him for not going away, it was a really entertaining um, last 20 minutes, it was pretty open and expansive but um they need to be quicker and they, they need a demand greater from their from themselves.
0: Yep, that's, that's fair enough. Uh, absolutely. Uh, mate, Super W, a couple of weeks uh, underway. Already looks some more, I think, even competition potentially this year. Um, some growth around the franchise. A few imports coming in uh, from New Zealand and from, from England as well. Um, Fiji, a, a couple of the, the uh, Fijiana players have popped up. Elsewhere. So, so good to see, I think certainly that the, the Drua and, and the Waratah is going to be the teams, to teams to beat again, but um, just a, a bit of a general improvement in the standard, which is great to see early on. Uh, and if we wrap it up in Hong Kong last night, um, men uh, didn't make the quarterfinals. That's, it's a big blow. I was talking with Johnny Menanti last um, Thursday actually, and he was really um, looking for consistency ac- across these Closing rounds, um, it's going to be a real scrap for the the final couple of spots, those automatic qualifying spots um, in the sevens uh, for the Olympics next year. And as he was explaining to me, those those automatic positions just give you the ability to plan out a little bit more and and book in your camps and not have to worry about regional tournaments or you know heaven forbid a, a rep a charge. And I don't know that Australia want to get caught up in a uh, a regional qualifier with Samoa the way they're going um, right now. They're right in that scrap for the the four positions as well. Um, and the girls uh, doing the women doing just as they have been uh for quite some time now, but another defeat to New Zealand uh in the final. Um the, to me, they just look like they're they're being out muscled a little bit up front. I think there's a lack of physicality from from the Aussie girls at times. Uh, there was a big scrum that New Zealand managed to to push off, push yeah. Australia off their own ball. Um, and they scored uh, almost immediately afterwards. Um, they, they're just lacking a little bit of punch, a little bit of physicality for me. I, I don't know how you're seeing it, but um, the momentum in this great rivalry has shifted back to New Zealand again, hasn't it?
1: Oh, it has. Oh, I think that was the most enjoyable, alongside the the Waratahs and Brumbies from Saturday night, that final's the most enjoyable match I've seen this weekend, though so it had everything. It had some great skills, some pace, um, the New Zealand women are, are brilliant. They are phenomenal. And they're so well rounded as well. When you've got ladies like Sarah Hirany at the moment, who just she she never seems like she breaks a sweat. And she doesn't seem like, like she she looks like she purrs along. She goes from third to fifth gear and, and and doesn't really break stride. It's it's impressive to watch. Um I think it's Waka, the uh the New Zealand. Winger, she's superb, a smiling assassin at the moment. Um, she's carving up international rugby and she's new on the scene. Uh, you know, the the Levi girls are going really well. There have been a couple of massive pluses. Uh Maddie Levi gets all the all all the plaudits and she's she's developing a game. She needs to improve her, her offloading and passing ability, but what she can do out in the open and her physicality that she shows, she's the most damaging rudder in, in women's rugby at the moment. Uh, Charlotte Caslick's holding that side together really, really nicely. I think they've actually building. That was a step up from what I've seen from them from from recent tournaments. Um, they weren't particularly, I don't think, that flustered. They started reasonably well. They scored early. Um, uh, Maddie Levi's sister's name. She's uh, her name is Tegan. She's I think the most improved of, over the last six months. She's going great, and her passing game, her kicking game, uh, her kick restarts. And um, she's been brought on phenomenally well by by Tim Walsh, um, and. I don't see it as bad as what the score line is showing at the moment between the two nations. I don't think the Gulf, I think it's closing a bit because these new young ladies are coming through and, you know, the, the Ashby's are going well. The Alyssa um, always for, 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 struggle to pronounce the last name, but
0: really a yep, yeah, she's,
1: she's going very well too. We saw some of the physicality shown there. So it's just about, I think, those one or two moments, but we know that the the Paris is a year away. It's 14, 15 months away. I think they're they're gonna continue to build and build. I'm I'm happy with where they're positioned at the moment. They're gonna they I think New Zealand sevens are gonna, that's a the difficulty for them is to be able to keep growing over the next year because they're gonna have to. Australia, I think it's such a young roster with the exception of Charlotte Casley that they're going to continue to go up, you know, Kelly Brazier's, they're going to, you know, they don't quite have as much pace as they might've in the past. Um, but what they do have is a a real understanding of how to win games at the moment. Good luck maintaining that over the next 14 months as well, I'd say.
0: Yeah. Both New Zealand and Australia already qualified from the women's, I think maybe the U S as well. So um they can uh, start planning for, for Paris next year. And that will be uh, one of the events to to absolutely mark in your calendar this at uh, the 2024 Olympics.
1: Oh, yeah. And and look, from the men's perspective, Morris Longbottom was kind of in and out of games over the weekend. Um, he kind of picked up a low ball and did phenomenally well to score a try. I think almost in the first game against Japan, it might have been. But he struggled for the rest of the tournament, played some, didn't play others he's 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 that game breaker that the Aussie sevens need all the time um how they look to integrate Wallaby or Australian 15s players into that side particularly will be interesting over the next 12 months wouldn't surprise me if one or two guys pop up from the um from the wider Australian Wallabies team into into that
0: well Johnny Manenti saying he'd love to get Corey Toole back which uh you probably wouldn't rule out um of course uh mark normally and some agree at the com games last year so there are options there to, to grow that squad and
1: Fra- think- fraser McRide or a, yeah a you're yeah, right with mark nong but yeah even i take mcdermott if you get two of those guys to go in there i think it would improve improve the and, side
0: and the men back in action in singapore uh, this weekend before i think they close out in toulouse and then London, so in all likelihood, it might go down to that final tournament at Twickenham for that qualification, which, uh, as we said earlier, will uh, will be huge if you can avoid uh, having to go through the, the regionals or or the repercharge um, as well. All right, mate, uh, big deep breath. I think that's a, that's a pretty good wrap um, for this Monday. Um, thanks for your time. Uh, always great to start thinking a little bit further ahead in the year of what Wallaby squad's might look like um i know you've done your accreditation and you, you're looking busily looking for an airbnb around Lyon somewhere so i don't know how that's progressing
1: you're right uh accreditation is done and dusted which is an improvement from this time last week but yet Lyon or st Etienne, um the two kind of areas looking at at the moment it's not quite um it's not quite montpellier perhaps so but um but look, can't complain at all, can we? You know, Paris for a few weeks and you know, the road to Paris, it's getting um, you know, we can see we can see the Eiffel Tower just about.
0: Not bad at all. Uh, some views to look forward to. This uh, well, so I was about to say this time next year. Now it's only uh, what are we now? Six months, not even five months away. Uh, Creeping up very quickly, and uh, I've got some other things creeping up on me pretty quickly around here. So uh, we will uh, be having Brittany Mitchell step into the hosting chair in the coming weeks. Also, we're welcoming back Lockie McCaffrey while I take some some time off. But um, we've got a couple more up our sleeve just yet uh, before I I take a a short break.
1: Well, can't wait for that. Um, Thanks, Brucey, and uh, look forward to it next week.
0: Thanks all. Uh, As ever, hit us up on social media. Give us a rating on Spotify, Google, uh, Apple, of course, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll talk to you again in seven days' time. Cheers.